We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And today we have a really fun episode with uh, with our man, Daniel Martinez. Um, a man of, I, let's say, I, what's, what's the saying? Uh, many, like a man wearing many hats or something, or a mask, or uh, not, what is it? Jack of all trades. That's, Master that of none, is the, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's the saying I'm looking for. But uh, this man is into software, real estate, and he's an avid podcaster. And we just had an amazing conversation with him. And um, we know you guys will enjoy it very much. But we'll talk about wholesaling and real estate. Um, uh, we'll touch a bit on his experience working with software and then talk a bunch about how he was able to get his podcast up and running and all the different platforms that he's been using to help automate things and just get it working effectively. But uh, thank you again, Daniel, for a great, great recording session and honestly just a fun conversation. But um, we know you guys will love it. Yeah, it's got to be one of the most value-packed Black Box podcast episodes we've ever brought to you guys. And it was all... Thanks to him, we were just able to, you know, provide the good questions to get him to open up. But just really good one. I think we just got to jump into it and get started. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's do it. We're super excited to uh, announce on Black Box that we have our first advertisement, and it is with our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests, uh, and they've become a new sponsor for the show. So tune in. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned to hear more about why we love Zencaster. Hey guys, we're really excited to tell you guys about Black Ice. The black-owned jewelry business uh, owned by Sean Moore, who we've had on the podcast before. And if you just think about it, Black Box, Black Ice, it's a match made in heaven. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Yeah, so... You know, jewelry in itself, obviously it's flashy, but you know, on Black Box, we like to talk more about the investment aspect. Gold jewelry, as well as watches, are a physical asset class in their own, which is a bit safer. And if you've seen the markets in the past year or so, stock market and crypto have been down a lot, whereas gold is really good at preserving its value. And that's what it's known for. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I've worked with him before personally to get a gift from my mother that was also a slightly custom piece as well. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Sean. He was easy. He was flexible. The price was fair. And, you know, I met up with him, quick and easy transaction. And my mom loved the gift and it turned out great. Yeah. So if all of this sounds good to you, you could check out his website or his socials. Um, It's Black Ice NYC, but it's black with a V instead of an A. And if you're looking for something stock, you could find it there. But he also does custom goods and he specializes in doing custom things with a quick turnaround. Uh, yeah. And also, if you're looking for a specific item, especially with, you know, watches, Sean loves to do sourcing. And because he's in the business, it's a little bit better pricing than going directly through retail and working with, you know, the corporations. We also think it's a bit better. And we talk about that on the pod that you'd be supporting, you know, an upcoming entrepreneur and a small business instead of going and giving your money to these big corporations anyway. Yeah. So again, we're so excited to partner with Black Ice and be sure to check the description down below for uh, hit Sean's socials and his website and stay tuned for cool opportunities coming very soon. Just don't forget to mention the black box sent you. All right, Daniel, thank you so much. I'm glad we could connect with uh, Podmatch. Uh, you want to just take a couple minutes or a couple seconds to introduce yourself quick before we dive in? Sure, man. Um, I always, I always, I always like bringing this up because um, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for four years. Uh, originally, was a I used to forklift driver, got into trucking, used to drive trucks, had my CDL, um, did that for. I actually started a trucking company, did that for two years, and then got into real estate, software, and data, which is what I do now. Um, you can touch on any part of that, but yeah, I, I like bringing up trucking because a lot of there's not very many blue collar workers that end up in the space I'm in. So it's one of those things. So if you're if you're a blue collar worker, truck driver, forklift driver, I've done it. 
I used to do door-to-door sales for a little bit. Um, and it's just been a journey, man. I'm, I just turned 30 this year, so I've been an entrepreneur for five years now. <laughs> About to be five years, so it's been a crazy journey. <laughs> Awesome. And I know, I know before we started recording, you mentioned that you are also a podcast host. So could you touch on that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I am a podcast. I have a podcast. It's called the Hive with us podcast network. Um, it's about real estate entrepreneurship, mostly a lot about real estate and real estate, um, niches in general, landlording, uh, lease options, creative strategies, uh, land, houses apartments all that good stuff so it's mostly about real estate but um we launched september we've been producing about five weeks i took like three weeks off uh, two weeks ago or so but we've been doing about two we're about 210 episodes right now 212 episodes right now i don't even know exactly uh but we're about five cranking weeks. them out we're just cranking <laughs> them out man um we do podcasts in spanish which i'm sure i'm at appreciate or other other people that um and that speak spanish so I have a I have a translator that's one of my clients and she helps us produce content in Spanish. So we have a few episodes in Spanish. We're doing stuff in English and it's, the Spanish stuff's about real estate and mindset and stuff like that. So it's pretty interesting. I like it. Awesome. I guess awesome. the so the hive with us kind of plays off of the real estate software, right? Is that Yeah, yeah. So you- the reason uh the hive mind came about is um it's more of if you and this is if you if you're in business as well you learn a lot of hacks and a lot in business just by talking and people, the people are like-minded. So we called it the hive mind because it's a software, but it's a congregation of people that put their information together to get smarter. So we really like really hone in on that. Like if we were on zoom, I have like a bunch of like brains around my head and stuff like that. It's because it's a lot of people that participate in our community because we have a really good uh, real estate community. A lot of people that participate in it, they provide information, they do deals together. They, they work in the network and network with each other. Like entrepreneurship is a really lonely space, but if you're around like-minded people that are in the same niche as you are, are aspiring to do the same thing as you, you really get comfortable in there. You're not alone. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's definitely been something that's helped me along the way. You know, I mean, through the podcast, meeting all these people and learning from them, but also just being on social media and discord group chats, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We're able to collaborate and just bounce ideas off each other. And I feel like that's definitely one of the things that's kept me going because, you know, I mean, not really my friends from college because we all kind of have a good mindset with investing and stuff, but where I'm at now, I'm back up home, uh, some of my friends around here don't really have the same mindset of getting into investing, entrepreneurship, real estate. So I feel like if I wasn't constantly connected with the right people, it would maybe drag me back to the mindsets that I used to have, which, you know, weren't centered around these things. So one thing I'll say about that is a hack. If you're an entrepreneur or aspiring to be an entrepreneur, the hack to that is leaving home. I will 100%. I will put my 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 hand in the Bible. And say that's the one thing you can do because it, it it forces you to grow and it forces you to grow up quick. Like um, I left my house when I was 22, and I was ready. To, I, I grew up outside Chicago and it was cold. I used to work outside, as you say, forklift driving, and yeah. it was just like it was one of those things where like I was ready to go. I'm ready to go. I don't really care where the <laughs> heck I was going. I'm ready to go. Let's go. My wife's like, you want it? My wife, my my girlfriend at the time, she's like, I have family in Atlanta. You want to go to Atlanta? I'm like, let's go pieces deuces i don't talk to anybody from high school that i i only talked to like one or two people that i went to high school with and like high school like they're friends for a season but like usually they don't go down the path you go like usually when you're working a job your friends are your friends from work because you spend so much time with them yeah when you're an entrepreneur you really have to network it out because you can really get into if like you're especially for a solo entrepreneur you're, you're just head in the head in the grindstone you're, you have employees or you have people like that but no one really understands what you're going through unless you're other entrepreneurs so like I said, it's really good to like yeah. leave that circle behind and you you really hit a huge like internal growth spurt just by leaving your environment. It's so pricey. Yeah. I, I just want to follow up to that uh, just so you know the full story. When I was 17, I moved out, went to college. That's where I met Ahmed and the that current group of guys that we hang out with and talk to. So you felt um, it hand. <laughs> no, no, I did. And it was also, you know, I grew, grew up in upstate New York, so it's a lot of the same people. Yeah, uh, a lot of the same culture, and then going to the college that I went to, Stony Brook, a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. I had to learn things. You know, I learned from Ahmed, asked him about his life, how he grew up, things like that. That I feel like started the this chain reaction that got me to where I'm at. Not that it was totally related to 
investing in entrepreneurship. But then I stayed out of the house. I, I stayed out, moved to Queens, did a year there. And then after I got into this mindset, now I feel like I've developed it on my own where no one can really steer me off given my like external environment. Then I moved back home just so I could save, save money. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Everyone on the audience knows that, but the plan is definitely to move back out. Just, uh, yeah, it's, was it's, waiting it's, to get into the property stuff. It's such a huge <laughs> growing experience, man. So like, even now, like I've moved, I lived in Atlanta for six years and I, I moved to LA I'm like, after LA, I'm like, I'm like, well, it's like, where, where are we going to end up in 10 years? Like, I don't know. I might be in another country. Who cares? I mean, but that's I, the best part. Now you have the freedom and the ability to do what you want and choose where you want to go. That's it, man. That's it. I guess. So what's, what's the point of your hive mind? Software? So it, it's a, um, it's a Is software. It just for real estate to connect with people like that or. No. So it's a. I mean, people talk about niching down, whatever, but it's a it's a it's a software CRM to essentially organize and control your marketing. That way, you're operating efficiently. Okay. So, a lot of people that operate a business, like sixty percent of them, sixty percent of the small businesses don't use a CRM at all in their business. And it's like one thing, like they're just they're just working yeah. and doing whatever they want, but there's no way to actually coordinate, control the leads, remarket the leads, hit past clients. Like they just they just off a whim. So once you understand that your clients can be repeat clients, once you understand that your 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 clients can get you referrals, they can get your reviews, which will in turn you can use to get more clients. You kind of get this whole cycle of like, hey, what can I, what system can I use, or what can I use to coordinate and organize myself better to operate more efficiently? So if you're a podcaster, you're trying you, to automate. You're trying to automate exactly. You want to or, uh, automate and SOP your whole business as a whole, that way you just like the McDonald's model, you can plug in anybody to, to, to work the fries because they, day one, they learn how to work the fries. So it's one of those yeah. things where like you want everybody in your team to know how to use everything in your business and operate different parts of your business. That way you can grow and hire more. You want to just break down a little bit for people in the audience that don't know what CRM is and what type of software that. So, uh, just in case. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, it's customer relations management. So if you're a car salesman, if you're a podcaster, if you're, it doesn't matter what you do, real estate, like I, I text out to put this in perspective. I had I talked to a client about an hour ago. He's texting 50,000 people blind texting in three days using our platform. So that's the, that's the wow, kind of okay, yeah. ability you can do. So, um, I don't know. I don't remember how I got on this podcast, but I, I did a podcast this morning and uh, she's like, Oh, so what, what can the CRM do? I'm like, well, how I ended up here. She's like, well, I got an email. And then I sent you a link based off of your email. I was like, well, I text, I emailed you and a thousand other people at the same time, specific to your specific to your podcast and your name. And I emailed a thousand people, the same email and I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we got into using Podmatch and then kind of linked that to the Calendly, which at least automates the, you know, the yeah. scheduling part. But then there's, you know, we had to, I manually sent you this meeting link. Yeah. So I don't know. Could you kind of give so, me an example yeah, of how I, I could I, yeah, link that? So wait, I, I use it. So how I use it for podcasting is there's a kind of like internal Calendly feature. I do text and emails. I do email outreach through the system. Um, I do texting coordination. I manage all my clients through text. Um, if anybody has a question, they can text my system and my v, my team will answer it. So imagine if, if you're paid to answer the phone, but you gave the same phone number to five people. That's kind of what it is. So, and okay. everybody can respond. The same five people can respond to that one number to thousands of clients. So it's kind of like a way to drive people to one source and multiple people can manage that source. Versus you sending everybody your phone number and your email address and having you're the funnel. You're the, you're also the bottleneck too. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say that that tends to be the case here. It's like, I mean, if neither of us are doing it, then nothing's getting done. Exactly. But you're saying that there are other people in the background, multiple people, in fact, that are doing it if you can't. And in most cases, they're, they're the ones that are definitely doing it. So you don't have to. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, 
the product that we use to record our episodes. It doesn't really have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless, which is, you know, the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to The Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach, you know, guests on how to set up a podcast if they haven't been on one before, we basically just say show up with a mic and a, a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making your podcast experience easy and and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools, if you want to use those, uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash blackbox, B-L-A-C-K-B-O-X. It's time to share your story. Um, even down to like automation too, where like I can text out like a campaign Let's say, let's say, so I always, this is my example I always do. So like uh, a good example of a CRM is everybody needs to drink water. You need to drink water. You need to drink water, right? So what's the best way to sell water? You see people on the corner selling water, right? But what if you're only going to get the foot traffic and the car traffic that pass by that intersection? What if you can hit a whole city via text and you have a website for them to buy water and you can hit them all at the same time? Well, and then you have a warehouse that actually delivers the water. That's what the CRM yeah. does. So it gives you okay. the, it amplifies your, your ability to reach and touch more people. And then you can actually fulfill the backend through processes, no matter what your business you're in, you can fulfill, fulfill that through checkout, invoicing, um, SOPs or whatever that is. That's gotcha. all. Yeah, no. I actually, I wanted to ask you two questions uh, more specific to your podcast and just, I guess, tips that you would have for pod, podcasters out there. Yeah. Um, so one of them is going to be a little, I guess, shorter than the other, but uh, what is the, what platforms do you use to create your content? Like, what do you use to record? What do you use to, I know you said you, you collaborate with others for editing and stuff, but do you know? What are all the platforms that uh, are required to generate one episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you exactly what it is. So on the front end, so um, scheduling, I use HiveMind. Texting, email automation, all HiveMind. Um, guest is referrals, pod match, and word of mouth. Um, fulfillment, restream, um, I I produce and submit all my podcasts through I'm using anchor right now. I know, I know there's other stuff out there, but I like anchor because everybody has Spotify and you can put your videos. Um, if you upload your videos to Spotify, people can actually watch your episode on Spotify. So that's one of the advantages I like about Spotify and it'll, it'll transcribe, it'll, not transcribe, but it'll uh, upload your, your audio to all the other platforms. So yeah. um, I use restream to publish all my videos on that side. So it goes to YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Facebook groups, my YouTube, my personal Facebook group, all that stuff. So it all goes on there. I usually uh, sometimes go live with it with using Restream, or sometimes I'll just record it and then push it live. So I have the ability to like this episode might be recorded. I can actually push the episode live out to all the channels, so all my cha- all my uh, listeners can listen to that. Uh, I use Otter to transcribe. I'm using PodPage for my website. And then I have um, just automation in the background. So after uh, after a guest comes on, I always pitch them, hey, join my free Facebook group, participate in the HiveMind, which is HiveMind CRM, by the way. And then um, I'll give them an offer for automation based on whatever business they're in. And it's all automated on the back end once they fulfill. Awesome. So Oh, and then editors, editors. Oh, and this is a good one for you guys. So editors, I have two editors from the Philippines. Um, they're very, very cheap. You can hire them. There's a there's a website called onlinejobs.ph. You can hire Filipino uh, virtual assistants. So I have two full-time editors. Um, I know they don't work 100% of the time, but I pay them uh, 200 bucks every two weeks. So it's cost me 800 bucks a month to get all my video editing done. They do all my short-form content and all my long-form content, all my podcast editing, and they put in... Uh, ads pre-roll and end rolls on my ad on my episodes 
Wow. Uh, and that includes video and audio editing? Yeah. Wow. Nice. Um, I guess... I guess I just oh. wanted to throw in one thing. I guess that's one of those situations where, you know, when we outsource work out of the U.S., where they're getting paid relatively well to what we're giving them, but it's also relatively cheap for what we'd pay if we were giving it to someone in the U.S. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I have – and no, no offense to U.S. workers and U.S. – like, it's just one of those things where, like, uh, I have – right now my team is – I have five virtual assistants to help me with my software, the podcast, and all that stuff. Um, they help me with all oh, that source. Uh, yeah, they, they, they handle all my, my, my end of the software and the podcast side and content producing. But on the real estate side, I have all Americans that handle the phones and all that stuff on the real estate side. And I have another partner that handles like the real estate side. So it's one of those things where like it's multiple teams, multiple people based on their skills and ability. They work night shift there, our day shift, and they do an amazing job. Amazing, amazing job. I guess it's just, with the real estate side, it's more just the understanding of what we're working with in the U.S. So being based in the U.S. kind of helps with that. It, I mean, it's not it's not even unheard of. I, I literally interviewed one of my clients. He actually ended up partnering with a guy from Argentina, and they're partners in Argentina. And he where he operates and operates his whole real estate business. So oh, yeah, for everybody listening outside the country, like it's just having the knowledge and understanding of, of how to do the business, and you can operate it anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, and. Also, you know, I'm in, we're both in tech. So we constantly work with teams that I've managed a team of engineers that was in India. Okay. Uh, we have the, the company that I'm currently at now. We have the whole, most of the development teams in India. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've had great experiences working with them. And I feel like it's just been becoming more common, especially in tech, to work with. Ar- you mentioned Argentina too. I know there's a lot of people that I've uh, seen in tech doing that as well. So, so, so the, uh, it's good to see it. I, I, I love it. The, the CEO of Airbnb, you can look it up. I don't know exact quote he said, but he said that um, they're no longer hiring locally based because there's a lot of tech companies that are work out of uh, Silicon Valley that they're only hiring people that live in Silicon yeah. Valley and Seattle and stuff like that. They're like, we, we're not going to limit ourselves to that because there's a lot of talent overseas that we're just not hiring because they don't live in the U.S. And it's, it's totally yeah. biased. So there's a lot of talented people that live overseas 100%. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm happy that it offers the opportunity of much better pay to everyone else in the country, and it sort of levels the uh, the playing field. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, it, it um, definitely, man. definitely, it definitely does. For sure. Yeah, Daniel. I don't know if I if maybe I missed it, but did did you say that you you like? I know you said this is your first time using Zencaster. What what do you use to record your podcast? Uh, Restream. Restream. Io. Um, I have the ability to record, restream. I can position uh, speakers. I can have up to 10 speakers. The reason why I like it is because um, I have the ability to go live and like, depending on your plan, multiple places. So I never, u- I never use Twitch, but I had the ability to connect to it. I'm like, let's just create a Twitch account. And now we stream to Twitch. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things where people come in and they'll watch it on Twitch. I'm like, oh. it's not that I target them specifically. <laughs> it's just I'll watch it on Twitch. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, yeah. and you're advertising that you're going live before you actually go live too, right? To your Facebook groups. I usually try and go live at the same time every day. Okay. And that's the whole point of having a Monday to Friday schedule. Um, and that's why I usually pre-record my content mostly. Another thing that I'll do is I'll actually, depending on who the host is or the guest is, I'll usually depend. Every day records podcast at different times. So I'll actually post it live right then and there. They'll be able. To, my guests can connect their Facebook to your live, so their people can contribute to your live. And then whenever I release the episode, I repost it again live again. <laughs> so it looks like there's actually live feedback happening, even That's though awesome. it been two weeks prior. That's nice. Yeah, um, I know. I know. I said I had a second question for you. Um, <laughs> this one is also related to the podcast. I'm just um, what. I guess what got you started with podcasting and like, do you think that it's something that also supports or helps you with your other endeavors in real estate and software? So uh, the first part of that is how I got into podcasting was I'm a product of it. That's why I contribute to it. So when I was truck driving, I had all the time in the world. So I would listen to a lot of YouTube and podcasting. So when I got out of it, I was like, let me contribute to it. 
And one of the one of the good reasons why you contribute to it is because it, it solidifies your credibility. So there's a lot of podcasts out there that they're they create a podcast around their business to the point where they produce money from their podcast by producing more business. So I thought as a, I saw that as a no brainer to get more credibility, to get more SEO. Um, me as a Mexican American, my name is very popular, so it's harder for me to fight through the SEO. So if you Google me, I'm number one on Google, and the reason why is because I've kind of earned that way through podcasting. So it gave me a free, it gave me a lot of SEO, and I'm just building it more and more as I go, even to the point where I'm like, every time I guess, I'm like, hey, use my middle name because I'm trying to get, I'm trying to rank higher. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and like a lot of reason why I, I do stuff like this. I don't know how I even got on, on your schedule, but the reason why I do this, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy having a conversation. I enjoy talking to people that want to learn from me. I don't mind giving out the information freely. I, I've learned a lot over the last four and a half years, and I, I just enjoy the conversation. And it's an opportunity for me to get back to where I had came from of podcasting. Awesome. Thank you. We definitely appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, um, I had one question too. Um, so, at what point did the real estate come in? Was that before all of this? Was that around the truck driving? You had extra money and you wanted to get into real estate or did this come later when you started to have abundance of money and you were learning from all these other people? So uh, trucking is a, and I'll preface this, that not all businesses are good businesses that should be run by you. And the reason why I say that is because I had no business experience and I got, I started a trucking company because I had a CDL and that's what I knew how to do. So worst case scenario, yeah. I could work how to do it. I like the idea. I'm a videographer. I'm just going to start a video company because I know that's what I know how to do. No offense to whatever you do, but understand that there's different profit margins for different businesses. So one thing about trucking that I didn't know about is that it's very expensive. Every dollar you make, you're going to spend 90 to 95% of that, maybe a hundred percent of that. So it's not even worth running that business if it's not profitable. And I didn't it's know about that. the scale, I guess. Like you need to have not a lot even, of not even about scale. There's Fortune Fortune 100 companies, billion dollar companies that operate off a margin of three percent or less. Okay. UPS, At FedEx, Amazon. Old Dominion, <laughs> Amazon's 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 different because they're not necessarily a shipping company; they're a software company. So yeah. think of Amazon, think of FedEx, UPS, um, Old Dominion, Saya. They all operate off a margin of 4% or less guaranteed. Billion-dollar companies. Wow, yeah. So I didn't know that coming in. I lost my ass. I was was actually losing money. I I did trucking for two years. I brought in almost 600 grand, and I lost 100 grand. (laughs) I mean, to do 600 grand in two years of trucking is really good, right? Were you just doing a lot of hours? or? I, I had five trucks. I got up to five trucks. I had multiple drivers. I probably went through 30 drivers over two years. Um, my biggest month was I did like 140 grand in a quarter, but I still lost oh, wow. money. <laughs> I'm saying, but you, you spent more than you actually made on that? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, so most people, what most people don't think about is operating costs. So in trucking, you have employees, insurance, gas, um, dispatcher well, especially right now the margin's got to be slim <laughs> i just i just talked to my dispatcher he said right now 75 percent of his cost goes to gas diesel yeah wow. oh yeah because diesel is also money. what like six dollars a gallon they're uh, losing 50, money 50, running 50. they're losing money doing work imagine that for every dollar you yeah. for every dollar you make you spend a dollar 20 that's trucking right now and the, yeah. the crazy part about it is like usually rates are supposed to come up to feed that, that profit margin. They haven't. Like I've been out of truck yeah. for two years and rates haven't gone up. So that means people are losing more money now than ever. <laughs> well, I feel like that. Yeah, that's, I mean, wages are, are technically increasing. I mean, it depends on what, you know, industry you're in. I know tech people are like negotiating to get paid more and things like that. But, you know, we've seen, just from the past couple of years, the cost of living go up and people aren't really making much more. Yeah, they're not. They're really not. So, I mean, I, I saw a fact today where it was like, you know, obviously the minimum wage has increased since 1956, but they were saying that pretty much right now it's like you're making the same amount as you were in 1956 due to inflation. And that's insane. It, but it, we got uh, off topic. <laughs> no, no, and that, that goes, that goes to say like, 
that's a blue collar job that uh, the seventies, it was really, it was really amazing to be a truck driver, but like now it's just like, it's crap. It's, it sucks to be a driver. It sucks to be a, a company owner. It sucks to be in that business unless you're doing something else in that business. So one thing I learned is that there's so many other businesses that operate around that niche that have way business, better business models. That's what like I, that's I'm something assuming, I learned. Huh? Assuming logistics companies are big, right? Or not? No? They're, they're doing just as bad. So one, one of the most lucrative things in trucking right now, and this is the whole trucking subject, is uh, factory. So factor, if you guys ever you know what a factory company is? No. So a factoring company is, um, they're kind of like a, a credit card processor. So in trucking, you have a net 30. So if, if, I, if I did a $1,000 load to take this load 500 miles, it's $2 a mile, right? I said net 30. So I send that to, I sent the completed load saying I completed this load. The, the shipper and the receiver signed it and the driver signed it, verifying that all parties delivered their part. I submit yeah. it back to the broker. Technically, they don't have to pay me till 30 days from now. So you have to have cash flow reserves for 30 days plus. So there's companies out there that will buy your receivables for a percentage. They'll like front you the money? Yeah, they'll front you the money, So, but they'll take a percentage of your work. So if you complete a thousand dollar load, they're going to take two percent of your work. Well, what does that look like annually? It's a twenty four percent ROI on money that you work for that they're just borrowing from a bank at six yeah. percent. So they're making eighteen percent on money that's not even theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and they did no work. <laughs> and they did no work. All they did was invoice. It's crazy. Okay. I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm starting to feel what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So the, and- the services around the actual business are the well, things like, that are doing much better than the actual business itself. hundred percent. So I, I, I talked to, I, I, to anybody that goes in trucking, like you have, to, if you're a, a, uh, um, a driver, uh, like not like a big company driver, you're a regular company driver, or if you're a company owner operator, the stars have to align for you to get paid. You have to get a load. You have to deliver the load on time. And then the broker has to pay you. Minus all the commute, waiting, shipper, receiver, 500 miles, accidents, yeah. trains for you to get paid. Like there's, there's so much things that have to be done just for you to even receive that potential $1,000. Breakdowns, tire blowouts, like yeah. there's, there's just too much. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I feel like, I feel like the fact that shipping time like at least like everyone expects things like immediately right you buy something you expect it to arrive in two days right amazon kind of had that effect on us as individuals and as and like maybe the u.s specifically as like consumers um how like like logistically how does how do things get shipped so quickly sometimes Be- like, and still like, like if, for example, right. If I order something that cost me like $10 on Amazon, but it's going to come in two days and it's shipping from across the country. Like granted, there's a, probably a bunch of other stuff on the truck that would maybe help. But like, do you do you do you know what I'm saying? Like how, yeah, does, how does that where work? Is, how how does where do the sense? numbers like line up? So I'll tell you what it is. What it is is that Amazon has built-in footprints in every major market, multiple footprints that they can deliver in two days because they already have it on hand. There's no manufacturing of that product. So the way they make money is they make money on um, storage. So let's say you want to, you, everybody wants to be Amazon FBA of the Amazon FBA, not knocking it or anything. You buy a thousand, you get a thousand pro- products from Alibaba. You ship it to Amazon. Amazon will store it till they sell out and they charge you a storage fee. So they actually put it in a warehouse to deliver within two days to potential customer. So all that product is literally sitting in a warehouse somewhere in your major market within two days away. And that's the answer. I guess, is that also kind of playing to, uh, like they're taking a loss in one aspect or breaking even in one aspect to make money on an, in another area. Like they're making money on the storage, but the delivery might not really be making them money. How Costco, you know, sells everything at cost, but they're making money on the membership 
more I than think, anything else. Like that yeah, that's Amazon might be doing this. That's a hundred. That's a hundred percent it. They're they're probably losing money on the physical shipping of the product, but they're making money on everywhere else, hand over fist. And they have such brand credibility that they're making money hand over fist over everything else. Where where they have where now Amazon owns uh, Amazon. They're they're. Movie studio at this point. Movie studio. Oh yeah, they they own it. Oh, so many other services that aren't just the exactly. Amazon that yeah, we know. So okay, just, I guess it's just one of those things where like they they lose money on that aspect to build up their credibility in other ways. Okay, yeah. makes sense. I guess I just want to tie it back into real estate. Let, let's uh, jump back to that. <laughs> how, how when did you get into real estate? At what point and how did you do it? <laughs> so uh, I got into real estate. Uh, I got into real estate uh, when I was in trucking at the time. I actually operated the company. I had drivers working for me, but I wasn't yeah. making enough money. I was just losing money at that point. So it was one of those things where like I had to do something else and that's pivoting, pivoting. Everybody talks about pivoting. Like sometimes you got to pivot. Like if you want to stay yeah. in the game, you got to pivot. If you if you miss that pivot, you're going back as an employee. But that's all, that's always worst case scenario. So one thing about entrepreneurship is, is you can always go back to your mom's basement and and go to get a job at, at uh, whatever at the warehouse. You know, there's always somebody hiring. <laughs> so you better you better give it your all. But we don't want to go back. <laughs> Not that you want to go back, but you, sometimes you have to repivot and refocus. Yeah, and rebuild a little bit. Yeah, it happens. So it's not a knock against you or that you didn't put in your all. It's just it happens. So um, I was as long as you don't quit. As long as you don't quit, man. Uh, I'll say this. So. The difference between the 1% and the 99 is the 99% either fail and quit or just don't even start. <laughs> so, oh, Multiple people that we've had on have said that. And that, that's the difference, man. You, you can fail forward and just be consistent and you'll be better than everybody else. You'll be better off than everybody else. So I was stuck, I was stuck in the trucking company and I'm like, I have to do something else. I learned about real estate. You kind of learned on that real estate bug, Whole agent, broker, investor, and you kind of learn about wholesaling. Have you guys had wholesaling? People talk about wholesaling? Yeah. Okay. We haven't had anyone on if you want to just cover it quick, but I do know what it is. I'm, at, I'm not sure if you do. I do. I, I have like a baseline knowledge of it. So wholesaling is, um, it's, it's just contract law. So it's not illegal. Essentially, yeah. you, you find sellers that let's say that you want to, you find Mr. Seller, hey, I'll buy your house for 50000 Okay. Mr. Seller says, yeah, so I'll buy, I'll buy, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you sell. I'll sell it to you for fifty thousand. Getting tongue tied here. Blah. <laughs> house might be worth a hundred. You go down to Mister Investor. Hey, I have this house for fifty thousand on paper. You want to buy it for sixty? You know what? That's a great deal. I need ten thousand dollars worth of work. Maybe as a tenant in place. Hey, I'll buy that for sixty thousand. You take that paper to the title company. You have contract A between you and Mister Seller for fifty. You have contract B with uh, Mister Buyer and you for sixty. Well, guess who gets ten thousand? I do. Yeah. That's wholesaling in a nutshell. Very okay. simple. Um, people do this with um, everything. It's just if you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and you can do it in not just real estate, but yeah, I know you can a do lot it. Of on. You can do it in a lot of different niches, and you just don't know. So we do the same thing in real estate, um, and that's how we do. That's how I make money. So my first deal, I actually did. In, I was living in Atlanta at the time. I was doing Google marketing. So we use marketing to talk to homeowners. That's where Hyman comes in. So I was doing website marketing. I didn't have Hyman at the time because I was just new, but um, I was doing website marketing with Google ads. Lady clicked on it. She owned a property in Florida. She's like, I'm getting all these citations for people dumping on my property. I don't even live in Florida. It's like six hours away. Would you buy this property? And I'm like, I look it up. I think it's worth about 20,000. I'm like, would you take 5,000? Two hundred and thirty-six dollars and twenty-three cents. I just made up a number, and uh, she's like, "It was actually four thousand. It was like forty-two hundred. She's like, "Can you do five? I'm like, "Yeah, I'll do five. And I, mind you, I was so scared to talk to the homeowner. I just the lead came in through my website, and I just emailed her. Emailed her. Fifteen emails later, I have a contract for five. I sold it on Facebook Marketplace for twelve in two days, and I made six grand. And that's how I got a real estate. And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with Zencaster and check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools. You were like, oh, this is a gold mine. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, that's how I got into real estate and it's been and then ever ever since ever since I've been in real estate, I've been learning about real estate niches and other businesses in real estate. That's how I got software and data. That's how I, that's what I do now. Software have and data. You, have you done 
like, do you have properties that you have tenants in or did you just stick to the wholesaling? Did you try Airbnb? Um, right now I have, uh, I'm working on a storage deal and I have a property in Georgia that I'm working that I, I did like a creative strategy with, but mostly we do a lot of wholesaling with uh, land and stuff like that. So gotcha. we, we like land because there's no, con- there's no contingent value. Houses are like, there's, I can I, get appraised and it's not even that it's, it's that no. there's, there's physical attachment to it. So if anybody owns a house, they know there's physical value to it because they can always Airbnb it. They can rent it. They can do They can sell it over marketplace. There's like yeah. so many opportunities for them to do with it. The reason why I land is because it's the opposite. There's less comps. There's no perceived value and you can own or finance it. So a lot of, a lot of strategies of what we do is like, we just create money out of nowhere. So let's say, person has a $50,000 lot. So that's not a house this time. So she can't just rent it out. There's no income coming from it. They're actually losing money by owning land because they have to pay taxes. And if they don't pay taxes, they, uh, somebody will come, the state will come foreclose on it and sell it to somebody else. So they're paying taxes on it. They're usually inherited it. There's no physical value to it. They probably never seen it before. And it's just passed down generation, generation. So there's no, there's no attachment to it. Yeah. So $50,000 lot, Hey, would you take five thousand for it? Would you take ten thousand for it? Like, yeah, I mean, I'll take ten thousand dollars cash, so we can get a really good discount on it. And then what we do is that it's really hard to get financing on land, so most people that buy land are cash buyers. So we use that to our benefit to get really good deals. But then we sell it at retail. So let's say we contract Mister Seller. Hey, we like your parcel of one acre. Would you sell it to us for 10 grand? He's like, yeah, it's worth about 40, but yeah, you can have it for 10. I know it's going to take me two years to sell it for 40. Okay. So we'll get it for under contract for 10. We might buy it at that point or we'll sell it on marketplace or other ways for $10,000 down 500 a month. Oh, so you'll, you'll, uh, personal finance. Yeah. Well, like you, you act as a bank or something. Yeah. Black, black does the bank. Because once we get the ten thousand, we own it. So we take Mister Mister Buyer's ten thousand, give it to Mister Seller, and then we act as the bank and just collect money on it. That's smart. Wait, I never knew five, that people were doing it with land. Is Sorry, five hundred dollars? Is that just like until it, a certain point? Like, yeah, they, you're a bank. You you act as the bank. So I'll, I'll do five hundred a month for six years at ten percent interest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, what they, they have the intention of what building a property on it or something like that. I don't care. They can do or you don't want. care at that point. They could do whatever. <laughs> they can, they can I, I guess do you, do you know, or do you have any idea what some people do with it? They, do they, they go, tend to build they properties? Go, they go hunt on that property. They might camp on that property. They might build their dream home on the property. I don't care what they do with it. And it's one of those things where like you can make, you can make creative offers. So if the house is, if the land is worth 50, I'll sell it to you for $15,000 down 500 a month for five years, or I'll sell it to you cash for 40 and you still get a $10,000 discount. So then you have people like, Oh, I'll give you the 40. I'll give you the 40. I'm still making 10,000 on it. Like, okay. Yeah. give me the That's 40. also the psychological negotiation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Too. You're still, you're still selling at a discount. So people are like, Oh, this property is worth 60. Let me buy it for 40. I'll pay cash. And you, you're like, I got it for tens. So I don't care. And then the other way around is that if you get it for 15 down and 500 a month, you get 5,000 in your pocket and you just collect money on it for five years. I guess that's, I, I just saw a post like a couple hours ago, right before we, we hopped on. It was one of those things where, a, you know, a brand will put something up and it's like, this is really worth 3000, but we're selling it to you for 1500. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, I got to get it. I'm getting a deal. No, you just paid 1500 for something that they probably spent five dollars to make it's a, it's seller psychology and sales 100 percent. and once you understand that like me i'll opt in into people's sales funnel i'll opt into people's stuff just because i want to see what it sells like and like the other day my wife got sold into high ticket it was like five thousand dollar pictures and i'm like why didn't you show me the funnel if you bought it i want to see what you what what this funnel looked like because it worked on you it means it's going to work on other consumers yeah you're like i can start doing it <laughs> But it's a, it's a different it's a different um, mindset that you have with when it's a different mindset you have with like email ads and and text message ads. I get, I get text message ads all the time. I'll just mess with them because that's what I do. I, I text message all these people yeah. randomly. So I'm like, people text me. I want to see what their funnel looks like. I want to see if it's automated. <laughs> I want to see if they'll call me back. <laughs> I just mess with people. I, it's fun. <laughs> 
I mean, in the same time, you're also kind of doing some Intel research into like exactly. how other people are doing it. Maybe you catch something along the way that you could use for you, but 100%. I got two more, two more questions. One okay. is uh, when you're doing these contracts for the wholesaling, what happens if you can't get, uh, you know, another buyer on the other end and then you just have this contract with the, with the seller for a property have you ever been in the situation where, you know, you don't want to go through with it? Can it just fall through? Because I know in real estate, sometimes contracts just fall through and then it's, you know, you might have lost a down payment of a, a thousand bucks or something. I've done it. I've done it before. So it's one of those things where like, it's a measured risk. Sometimes you, um, yeah. generally you have to put money down, especially in real estate, you have to put mo- some type of monetary down payment in escrow to hold that contract to make it standing. A good faith down payment or something. Good faith, like good faith down payment. So it depends what your risk tolerance is. So when I first started, I'd contract properties for a dollar. It's monetary. It's a monetary amount. So I'd contract for a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred bucks. If I was feeling extra edgy, I'd do it. For, I'd put a thousand down. And it was one of those things where, like, hey, it's up to you. I mean, a dollar is a monetary amount. So I mean, I'll put a dollar yeah. down. So I, I had like uh, checks at escrow for like a dollar, a dollar here, a dollar properties there, something like dollar checks. <laughs> so. Um, one thing, and that's like that's when I first started. So it was one of those things where, like, yeah, you, throw, you know, you can afford ten dollars. So contract ten properties, a hundred bucks. See yeah. what happens. So the one thing is, it's it's measured risk. So you don't want to lie lie to potential clients because it's a, it's bad business. So if it's high priced, we usually ask for an option agreement. That way, we're like, hey, my buy price is here. You're here. Would you give me an option? to exercise you at your price point for 60 days. It doesn't cost them anything and it's just an option. So if somebody comes in and actually buys at their price point or higher, you have the option and ability to buy at their price point. So it's one of the things we get an option contract. And then the other thing is that you always have a due diligence clause. So if the seller lies to you for whatever reason, or they don't give you all the details, you can always back out because of your due diligence clause. So it's one of those things where we use that, um, we use that in our negotiations where if it's a really good deal, my partner, my partner does the sales side. He's really good at sales where I'm the software guy. Um, he said he did this for the client was uh, he showed, he was talking to a seller and uh, he went, he's like, I'm going to be there tomorrow at noon. So he shows up tomorrow at noon, knocks on the door and the lady had like a ghost look on her face. She's like, I thought you were him. And those are somebody in there about to sign the contract. She's like, I thought, you, I thought you were the person I spoke to. So we're about to sign the contract at this price point. So he's like, go in there and tell him that I'll pay you more than what he's contracting it for. And if he says, I'll, I'll beat his price, he's lying to you and he's just trying to get the contract. So he kind of like double-ended negotiated her. So she went in like, uh, I have a guy that's on the contract. He said, crazy. he said he's going to pay more than you. And he's like, I'll pay more than you. And so he told him, if he says that, kick him out of the house. So he comes back. He said what he said in the So she kicked him out of the house and he got the contract. <laughs> so it definitely is like, it's to some aspect mastering like the human psychology and knowing how, well, that also comes with experience too, right? Like knowing these situations, how people react to this stuff. Because when it comes to like large sums of money, people act emotional. A hundred percent. And you have, to, you, have to, you have to pull the emotion out of it. And that's why like when you do land, it's a lot easier because there's no emotion tied to it. We're emotion uh with houses it's like really really emotional because it's a physical asset they might have inherited it from their, their grandparents and they grew up in that house and it's just like uh you got to deal with a lot of yeah. emotional trauma which is why it, being an agent sucks in, in some cases because you have to deal with that front blunt of it 100 percent of the because time. you're also coming like you're supporting the customer side so you like have to cater to that emotional stuff when you're really just a buyer or a seller you don't really have to care as much or have to pretend to care. hundred percent. But like I said, it's one of those things like if you get into business, you're going to be, they call it the underpaid therapist. I was the underpaid therapist for my trucking drivers. Uh, I mean, I had I dealt with marriage problems, girlfriend problems. I talked to my drivers about all that stuff because it was one of those things where like they're, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I was like 26 at the time talking to people about marriage problems. I've been married for 20 years and my girlfriend's doing this, this, and this. I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> just leave <laughs> and as well as things like it's, it's it's not it's probably more than we should do but you want to keep them as you want to keep them working because that's your livelihood so it's one of those things you well, like, deal with and them. i mean especially when you have employees you do care about them 
yeah. you want to help as much as you can. So the hardest part about a business is people. <laughs> oh, definitely. Because <laughs> if we were all robots, things would go to plan every time, but exactly, we're not, so yeah. they don't. Yeah. Between the between the clients and your employees, that's, that's the worst part. <laughs> I got one last question, Ahmed. You can fire off anything if you have it after. So when you're acting as uh, doing owner financing, acting as the bank, are you, how does the contract negotiations go? Like what if someone doesn't pay you back? You have all that legal stuff sorted out, right? Yeah. So like what if they and, just stop making payments? So hundred um, percent, we hundred percent you're, you're secured just like a bank is. So when, okay. when a bank finances a property, they, they, what they call uh, they get a deed of trust, which is separately tied to the deed. So the deed is what holds ownership and the deed of trust is what secures that deed and the bank's money interest. So whenever you finish paying off a loan with a bank, they actually sign a lien release for that deed of trust, which means you have full rights to the deed. So if you ever stop paying the, the lien holder, they can actually, they can actually uh, file paperwork to foreclose to go over that deed okay. and become owners of that. So, they take over all the equity. They take over all that stuff. Oh, so um, they take the equity that they've already put in. Yep. Um, okay. Not tech. I mean, that's, that's a different question. They take over what's owed to them at that point. Okay. But whenever they, so would you get paid out? Yes. Of the equity you've already put in. Okay. Yes. Yes. So technically, and the, that's a whole nother conversation of a real estate yeah. strategy, but um, if someone's going through foreclosure and they have equity in the house, Technically, the bank can only foreclose, take back what's owed to them, and then they have to release the rest of the funds back to them. A lot of people don't know that, and it took me three years to learn that, but that's, that's an advanced strategy. That <laughs> if, if, because that, that's why banks usually put the house up for auction after, then they can relinquish all the equity, pay the owner back, and then take the rest of the money? Yep. So okay. what happens to your – and this is a whole other subject, but your equity actually goes to the state in most cases – and it just goes in limbo. So there's like billions of dollars in state treasuries that's just sitting there that people don't even know is there. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That, okay. I didn't know that. That's, that's new. So you can actually search uh, surplus funds and this every state you lived in, search your name, and you can probably find money from your relatives, money from your parents. Um, I found I found money. Put this in perspective. My wife's grandfather has been in prison for 35 years. I found money from him when he visited Louisiana 40 years ago. So, I get, good, and little, good little tip. I, and that was that was related to real estate, or that was just related to something else? Like so, and, and the way it relates to real estate is, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar property. Um, the bank the bank is owed 40 grand. They foreclose on that property. They sell that property for a hundred grand on the auction. Where's that 60 grand go? Well, the 60 grand goes to the surplus fund to the state and the state will hold it till somebody claims it. Oh, so you don't get it back. No, you you have to claim it. So you have to claim it. Okay. The state will, well, the, 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 the bank can't legally keep it because it's not theirs. So the, the, they have to serve a notice to the owner saying, Hey, you have money here from your property. Please email us back verifying your identity to reclaim it problem is is they they don't have a proper mailing address they don't have a a forwarding address and it just goes in limbo so there's actually businesses out there that help people claim their funds and take a portion of that money too that's a home of the business okay Um, i didn't this was that's a business i never would have even thought about yeah there's there's billion so there's billions of dollars in california state treasury you can collect up to a 10% finder's fee for finding that person and doing the proper paperwork. So if they're owed a hundred grand, you can bet 10 grand a pop just by targeting people that are owed a hundred grand or more. I've actually heard about this. I have once on one of those like TikTok videos, but it's, I was like, it's legit. Oh, this seems crazy. hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. And it's just helping no, no. people yeah. collect money that they didn't know they have. Wow. Yeah, no, because I feel like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, of course, of course, like if you're owed money, like, like, of course, it's not going to be just easily granted to you. You have to jump over hoops and stuff to go and find it and then get it. Yeah, you gotta, the, the you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love government, everything. Government shady like that. 
Yeah. So I have a crazy story that has to do with real estate and surplus funds. This is the craziest story I've ever heard about this, but it makes total sense. So, um, and this might be a little bit over your guys' head, but you guys can understand this. And I probably shouldn't say this because this is crazy. But client, this client, whenever he contracts properties, he actually has sellers sign deeds with notaries. The good thing about that is, is that what I have to do is file the deed and you're essentially the owner. It's not fraud because he's actually giving them monetary compensation. So what he does is he'll knock these properties. They're already going through a lot of issues and he'll be like, Hey, I'll buy your house for a hundred grand. Here's a grand down. If you sign this deed, they're like, okay, I need to sell this property. They might. And the reason why it goes after them is because they're, they're about to go to tax foreclosure. So if the, the state comes in and takes it, they'll lose everything. Right. So the guy agrees to sell this house for a hundred grand. Right. Um, he gets a, he has the seller sign a deed, but he gives him a thousand dollars. So he gave them monetary compensation for the deed and an agreement to terms after that. So he does a title search to the title company. Title company says, Hey, there's another lien on here behind the state because state always takes hierarchy in, in the, in the real estate process. So their second position, they call it second position, was a bail bonds lien of like 70 grand or something like that. So um, he's like, hey, you didn't tell me about this lien. Give me my $1,000 back and I'll give you back the deed. Dude's like, dude, I spent that $1,000. Take a hike. So he's like, all right, whatever. So the bail bondsmen find out about the tax foreclosure and they have equity, essentially the, the, the lien that gives them um, the ability to take that money, that asset to give, they give that, that money to him to bail him out of jail that way. And they leverage an asset. So they're now stuck behind the state um, to get that asset back. So they're like, Hey, uh, Mr. Seller, uh, you're up for, uh, you're up for the tax. Like we need to pay the taxes, but you don't own the house anymore. You don't have the deed anymore. He's like, yeah, I, I, I gave the I, I gave the, the the deed to this guy for a thousand dollars, and uh, I don't have the deed anymore. He's like, dude, you need the deed because that's what secures our interest, or else you owe me seventy grand. He's like, we'll give you the thousand dollars. Just call the dude back and get the lead, get the get the deed back. And he's like, okay, okay, because now now if they foreclose on him and if they lose the house, he still they still owe him seventy grand. <laughs> so oh my gosh, the the bail bond. Yeah, it, it gets crazy. So the bail bondsman, and this might be over your head. The bail bondsman calls. I, I get it. Yeah. The bail bondsman tells the seller, "Hey, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Tell the dude to give you the deed back." So they call my my guy back, and he's like, uh, "I give you the thousand dollars. I need my deed back." He's like, "Nah. I mean, I tried to give it back to you, but you didn't want it. So now it's my my deed." <laughs> so he lets it go to foreclosure. Tax foreclosure comes in, wipes out the bail bondsman for their lien. They take back their money. They sell at the auction. Guess who gets the surplus funds? The person who owns the deed. So the dude got paid a hundred grand for a thousand dollar deed that he bought off the dude, and the bail bondsman got wiped out because they're in second position behind the state, and he made a hundred grand. So when they the- auctioned it off, they they were able to pay off the bail bonds. The bail bondsman get wiped out because. The, the lean positions are in hierarchy order. So everybody always wants for position because they have they have the ability to foreclose on the deed at that point. So if, okay. if people get like home equity lines, they're usually second position. If they get uh, um, child support liens, they're usually second position. Um, all these contractor liens are second yeah. position behind the, behind the bank. State takes over the bank automatically. So the property is on free and clear. So it was just state taxes and then the bail bondsman. State wiped out the bail bondsmen, so now they're gone out of the picture. It's no longer owed. Like they paid them off for that seventy grand. You're saying they had to deal with them personally. Okay. They had, but oh, so they took them out of the equation. They took them out, and of you're the saying equation. then. Yeah. So he he turned a thousand into a hundred thousand. That's a come up. <laughs> just by just by getting the deed, and he didn't defraud the guy either because he offered to give it back to him for the thousand dollars, and he said no. So he just kept the deed and kept the surplus funds. That's sick. That's <laughs> How often does that really like ideally happen though? Most people don't know that that even exists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it did it kind of happen coincidentally to him also. Like he didn't really know cause he was trying to give him back the deed anyway. If he knew 
or di- did he know that that's why he you have to offer it back to the person if they can't give you the funds then that's when you can go through i don't think process. he knew about that at that time he kind of learned along the process and it was just one of those things where it kind of went in his favor because he would have lost his thousand dollars but ended up making a hundred yeah that, that is a crazy story <laughs> don't give out money in that it's it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy story. I never want to get myself in that, that position, though. But it's under and like pe- people make a lot of money in real estate based off their niches. So the more you understand about real estate law, real estate processes, foreclosures, pre foreclosures, the more you understand about all those things, the more information you have because a lot of people don't know about that. So like we 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 deal a lot with like airships and trouble title because we're able to solve those equations where most agents can't. So like we have we have a one up over the agents because they can't even close the property because the title company won't even close it because it has has issues. So there's all these problems all over the U.S. that can't be solved and we come in and solve. So it's having the ability and information to facilitate and solve those problems is what makes you the money. Nice. I mean, I guess I guess it does make sense, right? Yeah. If if you're the only one that could solve the problem, you could really charge as much as you want to solve that problem. Exactly. Exactly. So like uh, my, my, me and my partner, we did a deal where the pre- people were in prison. Um, they were trying to get money to sell the property and they didn't trust anybody in prison. So we're, we're sending, we're doing paperwork through the prison, through the prison door. And it was one of those things where like, we're, we're, we're willing to do stuff that other people aren't. And that's why we get good deals. Well, usually when you put yourself in those situations, which may be exposing yourself to some type of higher risk because it's not as conventional, yep. then you usually get better returns and better opportunities. So like the invest, most investors, they operate in the gray area. Let's say 100% of the transactions, there's about 95% of them that are done between an agent, between A and B, and everything goes perfectly fine yeah. in, the, in the shiny world of real estate. We operate in the 5%, which means we get paid more to do solve those bigger problems that people regularly can't solve so these refer them out to us just because they don't know how to solve it to the point where we put ourselves in positions and networks that like hey if you have trouble title and airship problems send it to us and we'll, we'll fix that problem <laughs> awesome that's really interesting though congrats yeah. on being able to like find that area and like leverage it to the best of your ability it's 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 a it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy, it's a crazy space. But if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, do something niche because there's gonna be money there forever. Surplus funds, it's very niche. You can do that shit forever. I know people that that make a ton of money in that. Real estate, do real estate niches because there's a lot of money in that. Not necessarily just real estate in general. Don't be just a regular agent. The regular agents are gonna be starving in the next two years, you know. But people that do niche stuff, they're gonna be still be plenty of food around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess before we wrap up, is there, do you want to drop like your website? It's like, I'm assuming you have multiple websites given the like contrast in your businesses, but um, social media is anything like that. Yeah. So we're, my name is Daniel Martinez. I have my Instagram handle, Daniel underscore dot underscore Martinez. Um, I have our Facebook group, Hide Mind CRM. If you want to learn how to make six figures on a land deal for a dollar, you can text 210-972-1842. Just text the keyword course, C-O-U-R-F-C, and I'll send you a link to how to make six figures on a land deal. We've done it a couple t- we've done it like three times in the last year. How to make and we've had like four we've had like three or four clients do it too. Make six figures on a de- on one deal. So if people if you're out here starving making twenty five thousand a year if you put your time and effort towards real estate, there's opportunity to make Forex that <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy, man. Real, real estate is pretty unlimited. And there's, once you understand the basics, it's time, money, knowledge. If you can put two of the three things out of that into real estate, you can figure it out. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. No, th- this is definitely, I don't know. I could definitely put this up there with one of the top, episodes in terms of how much information we were able to pack into it in <laughs> an hour so yeah granted thank granted you. we were jumping around a bit between different things but uh I definitely like informative the best and ones. i mean fun for us i mean for, given we we actually just recently started 
uh, recording our video. We we were always showing video, but we weren't recording it. So now I guess our viewers get to see how much we were laughing and smiling during this episode. So man, you gotta you gotta get the content in every way possible and send it out in every way possible, man, because people consume it differently. <laughs> Just like we use marketing text, email, websites, all that stuff. We use it all different ways. You got to send it out different ways too. I got people probably nice. watch this on Twitch later. I'm like, what? Who watches on Twitch? I don't know. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's what we've been trying to pick up like each step of the way. We've been adding little bits of extra content as we can and then jump into YouTube and video. Uh, that's the next step. And I think we're just trying to come full circle, offer it every way possible, like you just said. Yeah. But, uh, Sorry, it shouldn't be all you outsource hire a video editor yeah no I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna start looking into that more thank you for the tip too i really appreciate it yeah man no problem we covered a lot uh, <laughs> no we did and we we jumped around but i feel like that's always the best kind of episodes it's yeah. a little hectic to listen to but yeah, no, you gotta you can you gotta pick something out of this that you could use or you could like at least think about and start looking into the title will probably have a few commas in it but <laughs> it's okay yeah <laughs> All right, man. Uh, all right, I'll uh, send us off. So you guys know where to reach us. Black Box Podcast, no A in the Black on Instagram and Twitter. Black Box Podcast with an A in the Black on TikTok. Uh, that's pretty much it. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it again. Shout out to Podmatch, hooking us up with really <laughs> great guests, really educational content, and we will see you next time. Peace. <laughs>